This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Caught me off guard and everybody that I've read or talked to caught them off guard too. Why now? One game does not a turnaround make, but Boswell was solid against New Orleans. Now you're kicking indoors. But be that as it may, we all know what happened to him this season. One of the big mysteries, one of the big reasons there in the situation they're in. But he did not appear in any injury lists. Maybe he got hurt in practice yesterday. It happened rather suddenly. And in case you don't already know, they've signed Matt McCrane to take his place. So he'll be the Steelers kicker Sunday and beyond if it should go there. McCrane's 24, kicked at Kansas State. This year, earlier this year, kicked for both Oakland and Arizona. And combined, he was 5 for 9 on field goals, but at least he was 8 for 8 on extra points, which is more than Boswell was. The good thing about this is, it seems to me, I thought they might make a move a couple of three weeks ago, especially after the Oakland game, but I didn't want them to cut him. I mean, he'd been such a good kicker. How could everything go so wrong? Well, by placing him on IR, guess what? He's back next year. He may have some competition, might be McCrane, might be somebody else. But at least they didn't cut him loose. That having been said, they didn't have to do anything with him. In other words, he's their property. They could have let him kick on Sunday, see what happens, unless all of a sudden they felt so uncomfortable and such a lack of confidence. But if that's the case, why did it happen earlier? And why did it happen after he had a very solid game against the Saints? Doesn't add up. But longer term, they do get to keep him around, which I think is the smart and prudent thing to do. Now, there is a school of thought that says, this is Bill Parcells, you are what your record says you are. So the Steelers are 8-6-1 right now on the outside looking into the playoffs. But I am not going to buy the theory that, well, they're an 8-6-1 football team. They did things that made them 8-6-1, certainly in a number of different areas. But I'm not going to let them off the hook by saying, well, we overestimated you. We overrated you. I'm sorry. It wasn't just around here. It was their own organization And it was virtually every pundit, every, in quotes, expert, said the Steelers were second only to the Patriots in the AFC. I'm talking preseason now. I don't know that anybody anticipated Kansas City or Patrick Mahomes would be as good as he's been. But the consensus was that the Steelers, coming off last year, despite the awful playoff loss to Jacksonville, They were second among the favorites in the AFC. 
Could everybody have been wrong? They really didn't suffer any crippling injuries. You lose a player for a game here or there. Certainly losing Connor didn't help. Now, I will say this, that a lot of the expectations for the Steelers in 2018 were not totally but partially and substantially due to having Le'Veon Bell. No one in August thought that Bell would never strap on a uniform in 2018. So I think a lot of the expectations for this team were based on the fact that Bell was going to be there and Ben was going to be there and Antonio Brown and Juju and all that stuff, and the defense would be adequate. They've been better the last couple of weeks, but we all know what's happened in the end of football games, and we go back to Boswell. He's partially responsible for that. The defense is largely responsible for that. But then again, so is the offense. For not picking up first downs, adding to leads, that sort of thing. But I'm not going to blame it on saying, well, they weren't that good to begin with. I just think that's an easy out. I don't buy it. And again, the bell factor. I mean, if bell shows up, Connor, who's been more than adequate, would have been filling the role that Jalen Samuels has filled, but I think he would have seen more time than Samuels has. Samuels only saw time because Connor got hurt. Connor would have gotten time because they wanted to save Bell, and I still maintain they could have used both of them in the back to the same time. It's water under the bridge. We're talking about expectations. A lot of that was built on having the best all-round running back in the NFL the best wide receiver, great Hall of Fame quarterback who had good statistical numbers, but also, he's listen, he's partially to blame too. And it goes back to they're going to look and say, well, they rank this in total yards and yards allowed and points. I'll go back to that statement that I – was mentioning the other day, former NFL coach, head coach, Jack Pardee, coached the Bears and the Redskins, played a long time in the NFL, borderline Hall of Fame linebacker. I'll repeat it in case you missed it. There are about 140 snaps from scrimmage in normal NFL games, something like that. And he said, how about 130 of them? Not going to be much of an advantage for one side or the other. However... The 10 in between, between 130 and 140, who wins those battles will most likely win the game. Just those 10 plays that decide football games, the others kind of neutralize one another. So it's not only the stats. What did you do when it mattered the most? And we can talk about the Steelers' defense improving. And really the last couple weeks, I think it did. but. Third and 20. Dennis on Facebook agrees with me. He said, I think the Steelers have underachieved. 
The window is closing for Big Ben. They need a win-now mentality. Could have dabbled on the free agent marker uh, when Bell is obviously not coming back. But you know what? They didn't know Bell wasn't definitely not coming back. And at that time, free agents aren't out there. Even if they had cap money, there were some that moved. Des Bryant being one. Eli Apple was another one, but he's a liability. He's not much. Dennis goes on and said, Hayden, isn't that great to be able to fix a secondary that's hit or miss week to week? Secondary's been an issue for years and can't hold a fourth-quarter lead. Early on, there were solid veteran running backs and cornerbacks available, yet the Steelers were idle. Well, the bell thing hamstrung them. But I don't know. Carlos Hyde went from Cleveland to Jacksonville. He's done nothing down there, even though Fournette was hurt. He was suspended. I do think if Connor hadn't gotten hurt, they might have been more willing to utilize the running game a bit more. But then, having said that, there were many games this year where they totally abandoned it. And they just stopped running the ball. And the excuse always was, well, we got behind. Well, you know what? Maybe if you're running the ball a bit and balancing your offense a bit, maybe you don't fall behind by as much. You don't have as many three and outs. On the Chris Boswell situation, David on Facebook says, says, as a fan, it's hard not to get tired with the cloak and dagger machinations of sports franchise around injuries. If Boswell's not injured, Tomlin and the organization should be responsible and own the mistake of signing him to a lucrative long-term contract. If he is injured, tell us what the injury is, how long he's been injured, whether it affected his play, and why it wasn't addressed until week 17. I get that the Rooney's own the team and Tomlin and his staff run it, but it's the fans who have been responsible for its long-term success, so just tell us what the heck is going on. Well, I support the fans, but... They don't owe you anything. They don't. I think you're supposed to be able to pass muster with the NFL. If you say a guy, the the, the league is supposed to scrutinize his weekly injury list. He didn't even appear on that. But I don't think that an organization, not just this one, owes any explanations. All they owe you is to try to put the best product out on the field if they can. But that doesn't guarantee wins and losses. All right, still to come, we're going to kind of get the Cleveland Browns mindset with Kenny Rhoda at 1 o'clock. Matt Williamson will talk about whether the Steelers underachieved or were they overrated to begin with. What NFL coaches are likely to get the axe on Monday? The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. playing really really well right now Uh, playing as a unit you know they're kind of on the same page able to do a lot of things out of the same personnel and just give different looks that they they don't just have one thing they do very well they do it all that's baker mayfield talking about that ravens defense which has been uh, impressive despite the level of competition they've beaten chargers notwithstanding by the way a quick update 
Uh, after practice today, Mike Tomlin addressed the media, and he said that Chris Boswell experienced some discomfort Sunday in New Orleans, went through a workout Thursday, and couldn't go. So he placed an IR, and Matt McCrane was signed for this game and beyond, if there is a beyond. We're joined now by my longtime friend and colleague, Kenny Rhoda of WHBC. He's covered Cleveland sports for a very long time. He joins us now on Saverin on Sports. Hey, Kenny, Happy New Year. Same to you, Stan. Good to be with you again. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, I've read a number of quotes from Browns players and heard a number of sound bites saying that they look at this game Sunday as their playoff game, that they, they want to finish with a win and finish over 500. Is that the sense that you're getting? Oh, absolutely. Uh, they know they can't officially make the playoffs, but... Uh, for the Steelers and the Ravens, uh, the outcome of this game is basically, uh, you know, who gets into the playoffs. So they're treating it as such, and it's great experience for the, you know, the young core of this football team with Baker Mayfield at quarterback getting an opportunity to play in a meaningful game uh, in December, as well as uh, Nick Chubb and who else? Antonio Callaway, Jannard Avery, uh, a lot of these rookies in this year's class drafted by John Dorsey uh, getting an opportunity to play in big games, and build that winning culture that has been lost uh, since 1999 when they returned to the NFL. You know, Kenny, um, it's interesting to me, why did this turnaround occur? I mean, a lot of people certainly justifiably are going to credit Greg Williams, but was it a matter of, thank God, Hugh Jackson's gone? Or, let me add another thing, you know, this is a young team playing a lot of young kids. Do they just go through the maturation process and get better along the way? I think it was a number of things. Uh, a lot of us, myself included, thought if Hugh Jackson would get fired, that Todd Haley would take over. Well, there was a, a rift between Hugh uh, and Todd Haley, and the organization felt it was affecting the team. So after that, Steelers lost 33-18 in Week 8. They decided to can both Haley and Hugh Jackson, turn things over to Greg Williams, and Freddie Kitchens uh, gets the, the job as the offensive coordinator. And that may have had the, the biggest impact on this team. Kitchens working with the number one overall pick, Baker Mayfield, and I guess designing game plans to his strength. And Baker Mayfield is two touchdown passes away from tying Peyton Manning and uh, Russell Wilson for the most touchdown passes in a season by a rookie quarterback. So I, I think it was some the, the maturation of those young guys that I, I mentioned in this draft class, uh, understanding what it takes to play in the NFL. But I, I don't think you can underscore the importance of Greg Williams, uh, Williams excuse me, his approach uh, to uh, these eight games that he's been the interim head coach for. This will be the eighth one. They're five and two in those previous seven, as well as Kitchens. And the players uh, obviously did not play for, get along with, like, however you want to say it, Hugh Jackson. They were happy to see him go. And so you put all that together, and that's why this team has a chance to finish over 500 with a win at Baltimore on Sunday. You know, it sure seems like Baker Mayfield and Hugh Jackson were oil and water, but I'm also wondering, were Baker Mayfield and Todd Haley like oil and water? Yeah, good question, and we really don't know the answer to that because a lot hasn't been made about Haley getting fired. It was all about Hugh and turning it over to Greg Williams, and so Haley's been the forgotten man since uh, they made the changes. It's been all about Hugh uh, getting fired by the Browns, signing with the Bengals, 
and then the Browns beating the Bengals twice and the stare down by Baker Mayfield this past uh, you know week and uh, Demarius Randall in the previous game against the Bengals intercepting a pass from Andy Dalton and then handing the ball to Hugh Jackson on the sideline. So uh, that, that seemed to be where, where most of the problems were, and that's what the talk has been since they fired Hugh Jackson again after that Steelers loss. Now what was Freddie Kitchens during uh, while Haley was there, while Hugh Jackson was there? A running backs coach uh, and uh, an assistant on offense. Uh, he had never called plays before at any level. Uh, was a quarterback at Alabama, so uh, understands the game offensively, has been in the league for years, but never had the opportunity. So Greg Williams is a defensive uh, coach. He was the D coordinator uh, with uh, Hugh Jackson, so he wasn't going to handle the offense. So they elevated Freddie Kitchens, and I'll tell you what, man, it's been a lot of fun watching the Browns' offense. They've gone from the wing tee to five wides. They're throwing double reverse passes. Now, again, it's a lot easier to do that, Stan, when there's not a lot at stake. Yeah. Uh, when the Browns you know, handed the reins over to Williams and Kitchens, there were no expectations of the playoffs whatsoever. So you can be a little bit more loose and take more chances, and Greg Williams has on fourth down gone for it quite a bit. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whoever the coach is next year when the season starts and everybody's 0-0 zero and zero, and the talk will be about making the playoffs. How will this team handle that pressure? Because they played really with no pressure since the coaching change. You know, I'm wondering, with that in mind, and I, I totally agree with you, um, it seems like there is some pressure uh, on them because they want to finish over 500. Yep. Maybe that's artificial, but they want to do that, even if it will cost them four spots uh, in the draft. Um, and also, you know, there's, there's not to help the Steelers. They don't care about that. Uh, right. but there is, I mean, it's a meaningful game. It's certainly meaningful for Baltimore. Um, and, and I'm wondering if this actually will put some pressure and kind of test their mettle in a game that does mean something, if not only to them, to other teams as well. I think it will, Stan. And the one thing to keep in mind as I'm looking at their schedule right now They've won three in a row, and they're five and two since Greg Williams took over. But the two losses have been to playoff-caliber teams, the Chiefs and the Texans, and the wins have been to non-playoff teams. So the, the schedule has worked in their favor somewhat in the matchups. Uh, the Ravens, uh, a playoff-caliber team, no doubt, leading the division right now. So if you go by that, you say, okay, well, the Ravens uh, at home uh, probably going to pull this out. But Lamar Jackson... Baker Mayfield, the first pick in the first round, the last pick in the first round. Two former Heisman Trophy uh, you know, winners going head-to-head. Uh, it happened earlier with Cam Newton and Baker Mayfield, and he handled that pretty well. So it's going to be interesting to see not only how the Browns maybe handle this pressure, but Lamar Jackson. How does he handle this must-win pressure? Yeah, undoubtedly. Um, uh, if they need him to pass them to a win, they're in big trouble. And, hey, you give them credit for the winning streak they've had, but they've only beaten one uh, over 500 team during the streak, and that was the Chargers, uh, albeit very impressive. Uh, as you've watched the Browns develop, is their offensive line good enough to deal with a pretty good Baltimore front seven? It's been one of the best offensive lines in the last seven weeks, especially in keeping their quarterback clean and not allowing a lot of pressures. Some of that is due to the fact that Baker Mayfield has learned to get rid of the ball quicker. Uh, they're running some screens. Uh, they're doing some things to keep defenses off balance. And Nick Chubb, the second-round pick running back, is 28 yards 
shy of a thousand yards rushing, and he didn't start like Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, early in the season. So that's a nice added piece, which uh, keeps the defense honest there. And you've got, uh, and this would be interesting to see, Stan. Uh, you've got Brashad Perryman, a first-round pick of the Ravens a few years ago, cut by them, picked up off the scrap heap by the the Cleveland Browns. He's averaging almost 23 yards a catch. He's stretching defenses. Uh, you know, there, there's some talk this week, you know, wouldn't it be ironic if he would catch the game-winning touchdown pass against his former team, against the former Browns, and knock them out of the playoffs. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how all of that affects the offense of the Browns versus that defense of the Ravens. It sounds like that he um... – well, let, let me just wrap this up in this question, not our yeah. interview, but this that particular subject. Um, do the Browns and John Dorsey now feel vindicated by just getting rid of Josh Gordon, given what's happened to him now in New England? Absolutely. Same with Corey Coleman, who was a first-round pick a couple of years ago by the Browns. They basically traded in uh, Josh Gordon and Corey Coleman for Brashad Perryman. That, that's what it, it comes down to, and uh, Gordon's out of football now. Um, I don't know where, to be honest with you, Coleman is. I don't know if he's on a practice squad, on a roster. Who knows? He's been a bust. And Perryman, like I said, has been a nice find for them, as well as Greg Robinson, the starting left tackle, who was you know, just added to this roster in training camp as kind of a, an insurance policy to the insurance policy. So John Dorsey, almost everything he's done, has, uh, you know, he's had the Midas touch. It's turned to gold. Robinson's your starting left tackle. Perryman's, uh, you know, your speedster. Uh, Baker Mayfield, who a lot of people, myself included, uh, didn't, I didn't think he deserved to be the number one overall pick. John Dorsey didn't care what anybody said. He went out and got him, got his guy. Uh, they feel the, the future is very bright with him at quarterback, finally getting their franchise quarterback. So John Dorsey vindicated absolutely, and Browns fans feeling good because finally, since 1999, they have an actual talent evaluator who knows what the hell he's doing. Well, uh, how will he evaluate the coaches? Uh, we just did a segment on you know Black Monday's coming up, and I went yep. through a litany of coaches who I think are going to get fired or will come very close. Um, Williams is an interim guy. Uh, would a win over Baltimore guarantee him coming back, or would it just be a down payment on his candidacy, or – Will Dorsey go after a guy he has experience with and bring in his own man? Yeah, that's the great question. A lot of us wondering that too. Five and two, maybe go six and two, beat the Ravens, knock them out of the playoffs. Uh, that that would be a, a nice feather in Greg Williams' cap, along with Freddie Kitchens as the offensive coordinator. Uh, I'm curious to see how Dorsey handles that. You know this uh, from all the years you've covered the NFL stand. New GMs like to bring in their own guys. Yep. they they just do. Mike Holmgren came here in uh, the, well, I forget the year, but he came here as the general manager, not the coach. He should have been the coach. He was terrible as a GM, but he came here as the GM, and he kept the uh, the, the head coach for the Browns uh, that, I'm trying to, oh, Mangini, Eric Mangini. He kept Mangini after Mangini won the final four games of the regular season, and it backfired on him the next year. And I think the Browns uh, organization is aware of that. I think John Dorsey is aware of that, and I think Dorsey would like to have his own guys. Now, who's going to be available? Who will want to come for the, for the interview uh, as the head coach here? That's what we have to wait and see, but let's be honest, Dan. It's a pretty attractive job right now where in years past, uh, maybe you took it for the money and just the experience. Now you have a chance to do some big things with a franchise quarterback, a franchise running back. Uh, you've got a franchise defensive end in 
Niles Garrett, who's got 12 and a half sacks this year. You've got all your draft picks. You've got $80 million to spend in salary cap money and a, and a potential you know, 500 team from this season. It's going to be a very attractive job to a lot of people out there, be it uh, Lincoln Riley at the collegiate level, Mike McCarthy, who was let go by the Packers, and whoever else John Dorsey has on his list. So it's going to be a fun off season to see how quickly this comes to uh, fruition for John Dorsey naming his head coach. Two things about that, Kenny. Would you imagine that they would lead to an offensive guy because of McCarthy uh, and what he did in Green Bay? Not that Aaron Rodgers needed a whole lot of help, but yep. they had a pretty prolific offense. Um, even Riley at Oklahoma, that he'd be leaning that way. And secondarily, is there a chance that Williams, if asked, would accept the job to go back to being the defensive coordinator? Another question we were talking about, that, you know, he likes to be in football. Uh, he, he's mentioned that he's 60 years old. Sure, he'd love another opportunity to be a head coach. But uh, I think what would happen uh, along those lines, Stan, if he wasn't named uh, as the full-time acting head coach, I think he feels maybe what he's done to this point, especially if he beats the Ravens, he could possibly be a candidate for a lot of those other jobs that will be available in the NFL. And if that's the case, he's got to you know decide, all right, do I want to go there and take a chance of getting another head coaching job? But if I go there and interview, I might get passed you know, over and then lose the defensive coordinator job in Cleveland if they want me back there. So, again, that, that's one of those things we're curious to see as well because uh, the defense has played pretty well uh, with him as the head coach and uh, as the D coordinator in the last half of the season. So, again, John Dorsey, um, uh, I really believe Dorsey wants to bring in his own guy and guys, in other words, Pick the head coach, let him pick his, his coordinators. You never know, never say never, but uh, Dorsey uh, came here last year with four games to go, got a good look at this team. He's had a year under his belt now with some of his guys. I think he would like to add more of his guys to the coaching staff. Okay. Last thing, Kenny, is there, I imagine there is among the fans, uh, but among the players, many of whom weren't even born when Cleveland uh, lost the Browns to, uh, to Baltimore, um, do the players talk about old Browns, new Browns, that kind of thing? Funny you ask that question, Stan, because Jarvis Landry had no idea oh. what happened. <laughs> the, the media members had to share with him the story yesterday uh, after practice, uh, the fact that the Ravens uh, were the old Browns. He had no idea. So I, I don't think that registers. What I think registers is a chance to go above 500, knock the Ravens out of the playoffs, continue that, that winning culture and build that, that winning momentum to carry into the offseason and into next year. I, I don't think that really matters to, to most of the guys, uh, if not all of the guys on this roster. All right, Kenny, thank you so much for spending the time. I know you're off this week. Uh, very insightful, as always. Great analysis. Thanks for being here. Have a great new year, and uh, we'll hook up again very soon. Sounds good, Stan. Good to hear you're back. Uh, a healthy New Year to you and all your listeners out there, and, and we'll see what happens this weekend. All right. Kenny, thanks a million. Take care. You got it. All right. There he goes. Kenny Rhoda, sports talk show host at WHBC, and he's covered Cleveland area sports for a number of years. And I've mentioned this before, uh, he and I have something in common in that Kenny's from Pittsburgh. He is from Springdale, but he's been working in Cleveland for well over 30 years, you know where I'm from originally. I've been here for coming up on 44 years. So 
we have that odd thing going on. He's a big Steeler fan, by the way. Um, he, you know, and he says it on the air in Cleveland. I suppose that would get you in trouble. Um, whatever. But uh, better the Steelers than the Ravens, apparently. All right. What about the Steelers? Are they underachievers or were they overrated in the first place? We got semi-clarity on the Chris Boswell situation. If you believe everything you're, you're told, that's all ahead. Saverin on Sports. Matt Williamson will join me next here on Saverin on Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. The move's totally fine. You know, obviously, guys are a little pissed off because we did control our own destiny, and now we got to kind of still go out there and win football games and uh, win the football game and then hope for another team to win. But um, we're all aware of the situation. We know what we got to do, and um, hopefully the, uh, the story will be told on Sunday. Marquise Pouncey talking about what's ahead for the Steelers and the Ravens and the Browns. We're joined now by our weekly NFL guest, Matt Williamson. He's brought to us by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. Matt, let's start out with the news of the day. We got a partial explanation from Mike Tomlin after practice today about Boswell. He was uncomfortable. Something was bothering him in the Saints game. It doesn't explain why that was the best game he's had in a couple of months. What do you make of all that? Yeah, it was peculiar news. I mean, that's the first, sitting down here with you is the first I heard the Tomlin explanation. All I saw was the headline. And just looking at the headline, my first thought was, okay, they worked this kid out. They probably really like him. They want to ensure that they have both kickers in camp next year so they can make a better opinion. So somebody else doesn't scoop them up. Like what happened, the two guys they they they, they worked out was I forget who the other one well, was. Well, Kai Forbath, Forbath, who went to Jacksonville he and had a big up. game. Yeah. By the way, for if you're joining us late, uh, Matt McCrane is uh, 24. He kicked at Kansas State. He was with the Raiders and Arizona this year. Five for nine on field goals, but eight for eight on extra points. Well, that's good. There you go. <laughs> Start. That's it. So maybe they liked both those guys when they worked them out and one got scooped up and they wanted to go into camp with both Boswell and somebody they had a little bit of background with. And people don't realize this in the NFL because the Steelers have been pretty consistent with good kicking. There's five, six, seven, eight teams that go through kickers like water. You know, So if there's somebody out on the market, they usually don't last long. They may not last long in their new home, but there's a lot of fluidity at the bottom of the kicker market. And Maybe they just wanted to scoop this guy up, or maybe Tomlin's 100% truthful and, you know, Boswell's not able to kick this week and they need a guy. Yeah, I, I, I don't would, know. It's yeah, weird, though. I would think that if they still have hopes of making the playoffs, they'd mm-hmm. want to go with the better of the two kickers. Right. And Boswell, I wouldn't say he straightened himself out. We wouldn't have known that after one game, but he, he looked solid on Sunday. He did. He did. I mean, he kicked well in a dome, but a high-pressure situation. Um, it might not matter at all. It might be one game against the Bengals that you don't need him one way or another. Or he might be kicking the Super Bowl. Who knows? I mean, but it's going to be quite a trial run for the kid if it gets into the playoffs. Well, I really thought it was smart. Even like three weeks ago, everybody was saying, cut him, cut him, cut him. No, you got to find a way, fake an injury like maybe this is. I don't know. But Boswell couldn't go so south so fast. You'd want to bring him back to camp and make him fight for the job, right? but bring him back and, and see maybe it was just a bad year. Right, or maybe there was a somewhat of a lingering injury more than we know, or who knows. I mean, I, I don't watch kick, kicking tape. I can't evaluate kickers any better than anybody else out there. But 
you would think somebody in the organization better be. <laughs> I mean, well, that's what Sundays are for. You that's what Sundays are for. But it's like a golf swing. If your golf swing's a little off or your confidence a little screwed up, that you're not as nearly as effective as a kicker. But I mean, I, I don't at all blame Boswell for the the down, you know, the the down year. But just imagine. I mean, Dale and I have talked about this a lot. Like he came off a Pro Bowl season. And everyone out there listening would have signed him to that deal. I mean, that was an easy decision. You yeah. lock that position up at that point. You go back to how you were thinking at the time. And he's been the worst kicker in the league. Not one of the worst. The worst kicker in the league. And the reason where the Steelers are at isn't just due to kicking. There's many reasons. There's four or five major reasons. But if he was just league average, not a pro bowler, they're talking about a bye week right now. They're yeah. resting guys tomorrow yeah. or on Sunday. No question. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, like Chuck Dole said, they had many problems and they are great. Mm-hmm. He was one of them. For sure. <clears throat> uh, while, while we're on that topic, when you look back now, <clears throat> the general topic I, I've raised for people today, have the Steelers underachieved or were they overrated to begin with? There's this Bill Parcells theory that says you are what your record says you are. I half uh, believe that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't buy it totally either. Right. Um, I'm not. I'm not willing to let them off the hook and say, "Well, we overrated them." I mean, every pundit in the world had them rated as the number two team in the AFC behind the Patriots, and all of us picked them to win the division. Yeah, know, going away easily like it looked like it was going to be like you know have it wrapped up by Thanksgiving type of deal. Um, and they were on the way to doing that at seven, two, and one. They were. They what were. The hell happened and. I, I'm not making excuses for them, but I think if you would take the 17 and 18 season together, I think that's what they are. I think they were not a 13 and 3 team probably last year, especially at the end on defense in particular. They won a lot of close games, and there is an art to that, but the metrics and the advanced guys will tell you that comes back to the mean. You know, this year they're uh, 500 in games to, you know, decided by a touchdown or less. That's the league average, of course. You would think a team that's this talented would be a little better in that regard, and certainly kicking would have helped. Um, I do think there was an element this year to some unluckiness. I mean, yeah, they shot themselves in the foot more than any team should. There's no doubt about that. But the refereeing a couple times, you know, a couple bounces, things outside their opinion, outside of their realm. Like that Saints game, I don't have any problem with the officiating except for that one call. I mean, that one call on fourth and one or whatever, fourth down, was a 10-point swing, maybe more. I mean, that's an awful difficult thing. And if I was a Saints fan watching it, I would have been throwing something at the TV. Like, you're hurting. The, this This isn't a good product. This is a terrible, terrible call on Hayden, on Kamara is what I'm talking about. The rest of it is that just That was normal, the first one. That was the first one. And in the end awful. zone. Awful. Like, you can't make that call in the NFL. You're hurting the league. Every officiating expert – Gene Steratore, mm-hmm. Mike Pereira, D- uh, Dean Blandino, they all came out and said, this is awful. Right. I mean, I bet everyone <clears throat> in the New Orleans bars that were watching it thought it was awful. I mean, it's awful. It's it's indisputable. Like, the NFL can't let that happen. And that's a 10-point swing. I mean, Steelers would have had the ball at midfield, maybe go score a touchdown. I'm guessing they at least get three out of it. Instead, they're defending the ball on the one. That, to me, is indefensible from the league. But I'm not. That's not the only reason the Steelers are where they are. I mean, Tomlin's made some errors. Um, the fourth quarter defense, to me, is very worrisome. You know, I mean, it, that's too much of a trend for me. Them losing leads, um, crumbling at the end, the last couple drives of the game. 
Um, but overall, I still think this team, maybe you disagree with me, I know Tim Benz did, but I think this team right now is better than the team we saw end last year. Hmm. I think the defense is a lot more solid. Special teams are worse. Offense is at least as good. I think this is a more competitive team. Those two teams would play, I'd take the 18 team. I was going to ask you, did you think that despite the, to me, the play that lost in the game, and there were many, it's third and 20. Yeah. You can't give up a 25-yard completion, and the guy, and Ginn's wide open. He's wide open. What are you doing? Um, that, that, to me, of all the other things, and they all, a, a lot of other plays could have swung the balance in a different direction. Uh, but that having been said, they did. I thought they did a pretty good job against Breeze. They certainly did a good job against Brady. Is that what leads you to say that the defense is getting better? Yeah, I mean, I think it's contrary to popular belief around here. That's a middle-of-the-road defense. I mean, there's many, many worse defenses in the NFL. Playing defense in the NFL is very difficult. It's like being shackled. I mean, it's really tough. And, yes, that play, the third and 20, you can't allow that to happen. I'm not never going to defend that. But, boy, I thought they played a solid game against the best team in the league. I mean, the Saints have a plus 34 scoring differential over the second-best team in the league. I mean, they have <laughs> that says a lot. I mean, in the one of the toughest places to play in the league – I thought that was as well as the Steelers can basically play, and they battled what I think is the best team in the league to close to a draw. I mean, a bounce or two or that call, they get out of there with a win. I mean, the Patriot defense, I really liked what they did. They changed things up a lot schematically. This one I didn't see as much that way. I mean, I saw some of the old problems, but I thought the execution was good. We go back to the defense and Keith Butler and Tom Leonard taking a lot of heat, um, especially for the matchups. We talked about it, that they had in the charger game, mm-hmm. uh, the Ravens and the Ra- Raiders game too. I mean, cook was their only threat. Yeah. And he yeah. Tore him up. The Ravens totally took Keenan Allen out of the game. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt that the Ravens will get to them and the Browns momentarily, I've always thought the Ravens have a really good front seven, but I've always had questions about their secondary. Uh, are we underestimating their secondary? Or during mm-hmm. this winning streak that the Ravens have had, the Chargers are the only over 500 playoff team that they've beaten? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I think it's a really good Raven defense. I think it's a very well-schemed defense. They've got a lot of no-name guys, Judon and... Pierce and people like that that aren't household names that are well above average players. Um, I think the secondary, I don't think you're giving the secondary enough credit to be very honest with you. I think the safeties are solid. The corners are pretty good, especially on the outside. The biggest thing I saw in that game though, was rivers just was under siege. I mean, the protection was a real problem. The guard positions in particular for the, the uh, chargers were sieves and, and rivers isn't getting out of the way. You know I mean? It, that interior pressure is a, a problem for him. And I do think the Ravens are one of the most difficult defenses to prepare for in the league, too. They'll show you one thing, change it another. I mean, they're pretty complex on that side of the ball. If we talk Browns-Ravens, the Browns guards are a lot better. Like, I don't know that the pressure will be as vigorous, I mean, as what Rivers was under. But we'll see. I think the Browns have a real shot in that game. All right, that was, that's um, I wanted that analysis. Um, I think mentally, we just had Kenny Rodon from uh, Cleveland area. Um they're fired up. They're excited. Sure. Uh, you know, and it's uh, uh, it may not seem like much, but for them to be 8-7-1, and one, it means a lot. It's not like you're getting one of these teams that are just, you know, 
already made their vacation plans already, mm-hmm. and they want to play this game. Uh, so you know you don't have that worry. The question is, are they good enough? And does the matchup suit the Browns against Baltimore? I think they're kind of like you said, as motivated as Baltimore, if not more. I mean, this is their Super Bowl. That's the team that left town. Mayfield wants to put a stamp on the team. You got coaches, you know, putting up their resume. Hey, keep me on board. They have a lot to play for. As you mentioned, hey, actually putting a winning season together after your, the beginning of the season was a disaster. Um, what's interesting, most interesting to me about that game is anyone knows anything about Greg Williams, the new head coach for the Browns, is he's a renegade. He is the most aggressive guy out there. And with nothing to lose, I think he's going to hit Lamar Jackson a ton. I think he's going to send eight-man blitzes. I think he's going to have surprise onside kicks. Landry's going to throw the ball. Like, they have nothing to lose. Just totally empty empty the barrel with all th- all systems go. Make Jackson throw to beat you. Crowd the line of scrimmage. Aggressive. They're fast on defense. They have a lot of athletes. Some of them are – most of them are young. But I don't think they'll get, you know, out you – know, the, the, the speed's going to cause a problem. Um, I mentioned that the Ravens are really hard to play against when when you have the ball. Well, they're equally as hard now on offense. You know, I've been equating it to like playing Army or Navy or Georgia Tech. Like, there's no one else on your schedule that plays this way. So, but I, I just think Williams is going to put his corners on an island, flood the box, and just have a lot of speed. And when in doubt, put your helmet on in Lamar Jackson's gut and see how he stands up. And Maybe he will stand up, but it's a, an odd formula that the Ravens play, and it's a, success, it's a successful one for the short term, but it's a fine line. I mean, anytime you're in a 13-9, 17-14 type of situation, you never know. I mean, a bounce here and there, and I'm really impressed with Mayfield. I think their protection will do a better job protecting him than Rivers did. One X factor is the Browns are about the worst team in the league besides the Steelers on special teams. And, of course, Baltimore is always great in that department. So, in a close game, that does favor the home team. You know, I'm wondering about, you know, this, uh, you know, going after Lamar Jackson. Um, understandably, you have to make him pass. I don't think he can pass. I was going to get to Baltimore's yeah. longer-term prospects, and that's all well and good. I still think a quarterback is going to have to pass you to victory, uh, yeah. you know, against good teams. If but, you're not a good pocket passer, it's going to come back to bite you. Maybe not in a six-game stretch, but in a – 20-game stretch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, or maybe your your defense protects him. Their defense is that good. But if Williams really comes after after Jackson like that, that can also lead to some big plays. That's what I'm thinking. Is, if he gets out of there. It could have led to some big plays. I was thinking the opposite. Cleveland's been one of the best teams of causing turnovers this year. That I think that's their formula. We're going to come after him. We're going to hit him. Maybe we cause a couple fumbles. You know, they run the ball so often. It's kind of like Ben. You know, like, Boy, Ben's turned the ball over too much. Well, his interception ratio is about as good as it's ever been in his career. He's just throwing a lot. Well, the Ravens, they run so much, they may fumble a little bit here more more and here and there on those mesh concepts and should I keep it, should you keep it? You got someone barreling down on you. Miles Garrett's playing out of his mind right now. I expect him to cause a big play or two. But that's kind of my formula for the Browns to win is if they can cause maybe they're plus two in turnovers. Baltimore has not turned the people over very well, which is shocking as good as their defense is. And if Williams is ultra-aggressive and Jackson doesn't quite know what he's seeing or is tired of getting hit, maybe they get a big play on defense. 
But it, it could go the other way. Jackson could go for 90, too. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, right. And, you know, and, and I want to ask you, because Baltimore does play a complex defense, uh, and Baker Mayfield has been very, very impressive. I mean, I, if I had a vote, I think I would still vote for Saquon Barkley I would for too. Offensive Rookie of the Year. But this kid surprised everybody. Um, he's got a lot of moxie, and, you know, that's mm-hmm. what that franchise needed. But playing a complex defense, I think it was 12-9, I think, the game. They beat Baltimore in Cleveland overtime, uh, in yeah. overtime. Uh, but will the complex defenses cause Baker Mayfield some issues? Maybe. It'll be a great test. I mean, it'll be a great uh, game to analyze Mayfield long-term. Uh, he hasn't really seen anything like this. It caused Rivers issues, who's certainly better mentally than Mayfield at this stage of their their careers. But I am really impressed with Mayfield, and I love the way he moves around the pocket, buys time, sees the field well. I think they've simplified things for him. Kitchens, their offensive coordinator, has done a really good job getting Haley and Hugh out, is paying off in spades on that side of the ball. Baker's very decisive where to go with the football. Uh, it'll be a big test, but it wouldn't shock me if the young guy passed it. I mean, he's pretty impressive. He's going to cause problems in this division for a long time. This Sunday here, it sure looks like the Bengals have mailed things in. They've had some injuries, but so, yeah. they, you know, people look at the final score last week, twenty six eighteen, but it was twenty six to three, and it was twenty three to nothing. It looks like they've just mailed it in. Yeah, I mean, it's been one of the worst defenses in the league all year. They don't have their quarterback. They don't have their star receiver. They're on their third tight end. The offensive line wasn't that good to begin with. Was Boyd going to play? Probably not. No, he's it's, gone. Yeah, and why would he go out there? I mean, it's mixing or nothing, and he's a great. Great player, and but I sat here with you before the Oakland game and said there's no way they can lose this one either. But this one's at home against a team that I just think has made their golf reservations. Yeah, I think I think so too, and may have a lame duck coach. One last thing: what if both Ohio teams won though? Yeah, this, this town would burn <laughs> to the ground. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no question about that. There wouldn't be a bridge left. Um, if it were to work out that way. I was thinking as watching the Chargers and remembering what happened here, watching the Chargers against Baltimore. Um, if it were to work out that way, and the Chargers had to come here for the first playoff game, mm-hmm. the way the Steelers played, I know they lost. You are what your record says you are, but the way they played against the Patriots and the way they played against uh, New Orleans, I'd relish the opportunity to play the sure. Chargers in the first round of the playoffs. Especially the way they played against the Chargers in the first half. I yeah, mean, they dominated the Chargers in the first and half. And were on their way to winning the game until that holding penalty on Ramon Foster. Right. I mean, let alone the play that obviously the fluky touchdown the Keenan Allen catches where the, the, the tackle moves early and they don't call it. I mean, that was another instrumental play that rarely happens. And there if were it two does, of them. Yeah. There was two separate plays. Yeah. Balls bobble up in the end zone. Davis and Hayden are right there. He grabs that playing volleyball, tip drill. But – Davis blasts Hayden. It would have been an interception, right. probably. <laughs> yeah. A six foot six, five hundred and thirty pound tackle raises up, right? <laughs> nobody saw it. Bigger than the U.S. Steel Building, and nobody sees it. Yeah, and you, I know the Steelers have been victim of not false start calls lately, but it's amazing they're they're kind of rampant across the league right now that they're letting those tackles move early, and it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Well, a few things do in life. Yeah. Uh, football comes fairly close, though. Thank you, Matt. Happy New Year. We appreciate yeah, you it. Too. We'll uh, look forward to talking to you again next week. Sounds like a plan. All right, we'll see if we're just doing a postmortem or um, previewing a playoff game. I'm leaning toward the former, but you never know. You never know.